Welcome to this Brigham and Women's Hospital podcast, dedicated to providing the latest information about today's health topics directly from our experts. We want to remind you that this information should not take the place of advice or recommendations you receive from your healthcare providers. Addiction to opioids is wreaking havoc on families and communities across the United States. Overdoses from prescription pain relievers and heroin are causing a surge in hospital visits and fatalities. How did this epidemic start? How does addiction work? In this podcast, Department of Neurology Chair Dr. Martin Samuels discusses the science of addiction with the Brigham and Women's Hospital President's Advisory Council. What I plan to do in this 15 minutes is to tell you about three very important concepts about how the nervous system handles external stimuli. And I'll tell you in advance what those are called. One is called nociception. I'll define that for you in a minute. But it basically means the ability to recognize that something is noxious in the environment. Nociception. The second is pain. And the third is suffering. I want to make sure you understand the distinction among these and the interaction, the complex interaction among nociception, pain, and suffering. You need to understand that to understand why we're in this pickle that we're in now. And then I want to tell you about what the nervous system does when it's exposed to these substances. And there are several phenomena that you're going to learn about in the next few minutes or remind yourself about in the next few minutes. And then I'm going to, I'm going to conclude my remarks with what I think is the summary problem, which I think I can probably sum summarize in a single sentence. So, so let's see whether we can do that in 15 minutes. So I, I want to uh, recruit you for an experiment. I asked them to put ice water in front of each of your, your places. You all have them, right? What I'd like you to do, <clears throat> don't do it yet, uh, is to take one finger and put it in the ice water um, and put it right up against one of the pieces of ice there. And then uh, just leave it there. And I would like you to do is to raise the other hand when it begins to feel uncomfortable. Try not to be influenced by others. The, the, the best way to do this would be with your eyes closed. But, but um, I want you to see what happens. So tr try to think yourself, when does this feel uncomfortable? And uh, let's see what happens in the next uh, 30 seconds to one minute. So everybody have their ice water? Ready, go ahead. Put your finger in the ice water. Make sure it's right up against a nice piece of ice there. And uh, when, when it starts to feel unpleasant, uh, raise your hand. What we're testing here is a, a, a very, very old and very primitive system in the nervous system. It's meant to uh, recognize unpleasant and potentially, there's Dr. Wolf was the first one, Dr. Nabel. I'm not going to name everybody, but. Don't be, don't be inhibited by, by this, because I, this is not a test to see who can take it the most. I just want you to see. I want you to see what happens. Uh, th this phenomenon that you're testing, there's another hand up over in the corner, another hand here, another there, another here, another here. See how long you can leave it there. See what happens over time. So this is called a noxious stimulus. Noxious is defined as potentially tissue damaging, right? Potentially tissue damaging. She's feeling it now. You're feeling it. You're feeling it. You're feeling it. You're feeling it. Okay, you can take your hands out of the water. If you look at your fingertip now, you're going to see the color of your fingertip will have changed. 
as a result of that exposure to the ice, uh, to the ice water. That's what's called an autonomic response. Your nervous system has constricted the blood vessels in, the, in that uh, automatically constricted them in your fingertip. This is nociception, right? It's very important for us, our, our organism, to be able to recognize what is potentially damaging in the environment. Can you name other things? I, I used ice, but what else would be potentially tissue damaging that you could think of? Heat, heat would be another one, right? Pinprick would be another one. Uh, wouldn't it burn would, might be another one. And why do we, why has this uh, survived evolution, do you think? I mean, why do we have this? Well, what would happen to us if, if we didn't have nociception, do you think? Is there any experiment of nature where we don't have, we, we don't have nociception? What would happen? Do you know of a disease that does that? It's a very, very famous and important disease. He can't yell at Marshall. It's leprosy. Leprosy is an infection of those little thin nerves that carry nociception, such that they don't work. And all of the deformations that, that occurred in, in people's limbs and in their faces was all due to the fact that they couldn't sense noxious stimuli. Right? It's very dangerous not to be able to, to sense noxious stimuli. You, you probably have personal experience with this because you go to the dentist and you get an injection of Novocaine to numb your jaw up, and you find that you can bite your tongue uh, accidentally. It's, it's dangerous not to have no We must have nociception. And furthermore, it goes way back in evolution, way before there was an organized brain. So if you look at an animal like Aplysia, Aplysia is a big sea slug. It's a big, big giant escargot. It doesn't have a brain. It just have nerve nets. But if you stick it with something, like a pin, it'll move away. Right? Even it has nociception. So nociception is, is normal. It's critical. We don't want to get rid of it. Does everybody understand that? We, we get rid of nociception. We're in deep, deep trouble. Now, what does the nervous system do to deal with a, with a noxious stimulus like that? I mean, why, when you took your finger out of the ice, did the pain, that that experience go away? What do you think happened inside your nervous system? Well, over evolution, the nervous system has evolved a way to control nociception. It sends impulses from above down to the spinal cord and to those nerves that are carrying that impulses, and it releases a chemical. And that chemical turns those nerves off, the ones that were carrying that noxious stimulus. And take a guess, what do you think that chemical is? It's an opioid. It's called enkephalin. A tiny little molecule that is absolutely normal within the nervous system. We are completely dependent on the existence of, we'll call them endogenous opioids. Right? These are chemicals that we make to control nociception. If it weren't for that, that unpleasant sensation that you all experienced would never go away. Can you imagine that? Sting your stick your finger in, in an ice, in a glass of ice water, and that horrible ache that you began to feel would never go away if it weren't for opioids. Opioids are the good guys. Do you understand that? that we all have opioids. And they go way back in evolution. All animals and many, many plants have opioids. 
And thousands of years ago, human beings discovered that some plants were rich in opioids. What plants were those? Poppies. Do you remember the Wizard of Oz, that wonderful scene where they see the, field, the giant field of poppies and then they, they fall asleep? Do you remember that? That's because opioids don't just control noxious information, but they settle down the nervous system and put it to sleep. And if you take more opioids, it'll actually reduce your breathing to the point where it will ultimately stop completely. That's a side effect of this very, very critical chemical. Any questions about, op about endogenous opioids? Everybody understand what nociception is? So the next concept is pain. Lay people use the term pain to mean everything, but we have a specific meaning for pain. Pain is discomfort caused by injury. Discomfort caused by injury. You can't have pain without a brain. The brain is required for pain. Remember that, that, that simple organism, Aplysia, the big sea slug? It has no susception. It'll move away when there's a noxious stimulus. But we don't believe that it suffers from pain, an unpleasant sensation caused by injury. You did suffer from pain there, didn't you? There was a no susceptive stimulus. And after a little while, how long do you think it took? 15 seconds, 30 seconds? You began to report pain, didn't you? But you didn't all report it at the same time. Some of you reported after a few seconds, some after many seconds, but all of you ultimately reported it. And in fact, if I graphed that out, I would get a bell-shaped curve. Right? That means that something about you all, huh? all of you, have a different reaction to the same nociception. Right? It was the same ice water for all of you, right? Some of you reported pain right away, some reported pain later. There's a genetic difference, isn't there, that we can recognize in the experience of pain as opposed to nociception. That's a brain thing. And it, actually, there's a part of the brain called the thalamus deep in the center of the brain, which is responsible for this, this sensation. So then you're, you're ready for the third concept. We're almost there. And that's the concept of suffering. Suffering is defined as the experience of undergoing pain, hardship, or distress. Pain, hardship, or distress. So one cause of suffering is pain. And pain is a nervous system experience based on nociception. You're beginning to put it together, I can see now. But can you name any other phenomena that might cause suffering? other than pain. Name some. How about war? How about poverty? How about bad marriage? How about bad job? How about politics? Uh -huh. <laughs> How about politics? I won't mention any particular names because I don't know. How about depression? How about anxiety? Uh, how about loss? Right, we see the horrible news of those poor people in Syria. That's suffering, isn't it? So suffering is caused by a whole array of things. 
only one of which is pain. Pain is a central nervous system manifestation of nociception. Suffering is the thing that we doctors and other healthcare professionals swore that we would try to prevent. That's what the Hippocratic Oath and the Maimonidean Oath says. You swear that you will try to reduce human suffering. Notice that they were wise enough to not say, it is your job to stop pain and nociception. It's not our job to stop pain and nociception. Our job is to reduce suffering, isn't it? And if the reduction of suffering requires dealing with pain and nociception, that's something we should do, but that's not the only cause. In fact, probably the minority cause of, of suffering. So now you're almost neurologists. <laughs> Let me tell you what happens when people are exposed to exogenous drugs. Not the drugs made by our own nervous system, but drugs that they have taken, given by a doctor, or bought on the street, or bought over the counter, right? All of those are possible. So listen to what can happen. The first concept, so it's a, it's a strange name, but I want you to understand it, is a word called tachyphylaxis. Tachyphylaxis means as you take more and more of the drug, you get a bigger effect to a certain limit, and then it doesn't make any difference how much more you take, you won't get an additional benefit. That's because the drug causes the, causes the release of something, and once everything is released, there's nothing left to release. That's how amphetamines work. Methamphetamine on the street works that way. Diet pills that contain amphetamines, that's how they work. You get a bigger effect to a certain limit, and then you can't get any more, no matter how much you take. That's the first concept for you. The second is tolerance. Tolerance means that you have to take an increasing dose to get the same benefit. That's a normal phenomenon for all of us. Any of us in this room who were to take a drug for, for, for dealing with nociception would develop tolerance. That means over time, we would have to take more of the drug to get the same benefit, and there's no absolute limit on that. Higher and higher and higher and higher and higher doses. But remember, opioids, remember the Wizard of Oz, they'll put you to sleep, won't they, as you take higher and higher doses. And sleep is only the beginning. Then there's decreased breathing. Then there's no breathing. That's true of all opioids, alcohol, which is by far the most common drug to, to which we are exposed, and uh, benzodiazepine drugs like, like Valium and Librium and Lorazepam, those drugs, right? They all do this. So that's the second. You're almost there. Um, dependency. Dependency means that if you were to reduce the drug that you're taking or stop it, you would experience withdrawal symptoms from it. And those withdrawal symptoms can be mild, like a little tremor, uh, and a little anxiety, or abdominal pains, or cramps, or very high fevers, and life-threatening cardiac problems, right? Severe withdrawal. That's normal. If you were to take, any of you, were to take one of these drugs, an opioid drug, for a long period of time, you would develop dependency. Uh, and you, you would notice that if you reduced the dose or stopped it, you would have side effects from that. But, but you would probably be able to do it. So that leads us to the very last point. Addiction. What is, what is addiction? Addiction is a, 
is an, is an inherent craving for something that is not controllable. It is what we in neurology and psychiatry call an obsession. An obsession is a thought that you can't get out of your mind. All of us have a little of this. Do you ever have an earworm about a piece of music that you heard? Can't get that out of your mind? Stays there for a while? Huh? That's, a, that's an obsession. Right? You can't get it out of your mind. That's what this is all about. And just like the spectrum I showed you before about experiencing pain from the ice water, there's a spectrum of obsessional behavior. Some people are more susceptible to it than other people. It tends to run in families. Many of you probably know whether you are a little obsessional, whether you get ideas that you can't get out of your mind. Some of us have to do something to get rid of the idea, like turn our head to the right. Now it feels less tense in the neck. That's, that's called a compulsion. Uh, a compulsion is a movement that helps get rid of the obsession. Right, so now an addiction, that means, can be anything that's caused by this horrible craving that you can't get out of your mind. It, it doesn't have to be a drug, does it? And there needn't be tolerance either. Can you name other kinds of Obsessions? There's sex obsessions, aren't there? There's people who have sex addictions, right? They can't stop thinking about it. That's, what about gambling? There's gambling addictions, aren't there? People that can't avoid gambling. And yet, they don't have withdrawal intolerance, right? They, they just have addiction. Now, it turns out there's a system in the brain for that, too. It's the system we, we use to make ourselves happy. Whenever we're happy about something, this system gets turned on. And there's a chemical that does this called dopamine. It's the same chemical that's missing in people with Parkinson's disease. Right? So when we replace that in people with Parkinson's disease, sometimes they start gambling. Isn't that interesting, huh? It's the, it's the reward system. It's the system that, that makes us happy. And therefore, if something makes you happy, it's hard to stop doing it, isn't it? Eating, gambling, sexual activity. You can see how this could happen, right? That's, that's an addiction. So, so addictions can be due to drugs, but they can be due to genetic predispositions, other causes. So what's the essential problem? I'm at the end of my 15 minutes. What's, what's the problem here? The problem is simple. We have mixed up the different causes of suffering, haven't we? We, meaning society in general, in our little subgroup within society, that is we doctors and nurses and other people, we, we have mixed it up, haven't we? We're, we're trying to treat people's suffering as if it were all pain due to nociception. And it isn't, is it? We're using the wrong drugs. We're using the wrong methods in most patients. And why, why is that? Uh, the main problem, of course, is that it takes a long time to find out why people are suffering. And we're seeing patients at the rate of one every 15 minutes. Some primary care people are seeing people every 10 minutes. People come to your office and say, my back hurts. You need to sit with them and find out, why is this person suffering? What is the, what is the reason? We need to know that about that person's life. We need to know about that person's family history. 
We need to know a lot about them. We don't have, we don't have time for that, do we? Everybody wants to go faster and faster and faster. So, so what happens instead is somebody says, you have a back pain, take an opioid. Mixing up pain with suffering, you see how it happened? So easy to have it happen. And if you're genetically predisposed to developing addiction, which is this reward system, you can see what would happen to you when you believe that you were treating your suffering with the wrong medication. Maybe really what you should have is some psychotherapy. Maybe really what you should have is some physical therapy. Maybe you need some marriage counseling. It's a whole array of possibilities, isn't it? So it's, it's, a, it's a complicated problem. It's a sophisticated problem. It's going to take a sophisticated solution. We'll hear what the governor says later, but I think it's fine to say let's just prescribe fewer opioids, but that isn't the answer, is it? Not ultimately. Not if we're going to fulfill our Maimonides and Hippocratic Oath, which says that we swear that we are trying to reduce human suffering. That's our job. Are there any questions or comments about the, the neurobiology of nociception, pain, and suffering? Everybody understand it? Please. Everybody, we all know it now, and I didn't really know it that well. And I'm wondering if it's the right word for the problem, because I hear a lot from you in terms of the, the causatives, but we're seeming to lump it, that if we just tell doctors or people don't prescribe or that that's it, just that'll fix the opioid problem. Yeah. No, it's a, you heard Deborah's comment. Everybody heard that comment. It's a good question, right? Uh, it, you're, you're saying in another way what I was trying to say, maybe not, not expressing myself fully about it. It's too simple to just say, let's just tell the doctors to only prescribe three days of opioids. Right? That's, that, that, maybe is, that maybe is a start. That's, a, that's reasonable. That's not an unreasonable thing, but that isn't the answer, is it? Not really. Right? It's a much bigger problem than that. It, this has to do with the way medicine is going. You know, what, what do we want our doctors for? What are, where do we, why do we go to the doctor? Marshall's my doctor. He was my doctor for 25 years. And, <laughs> and he was, uh, you know, I, I go to Marshall to relieve suffering of one thing or another. And a lot of it comes in ways that have nothing at all to do with drugs, right? It has to do with laying on of hands, to, of reassurance, of, of ex explanation about what is likely to happen, what is likely not to happen, right? That's what it's, that's doctoring. That's what it's really about. And we've gotten away from it. We have. And uh, I don't know the, I don't have a silver bullet for this. That's the answer. But I, I do feel pretty clear about what the problem is. And I think that's the problem. If you, I think you've put your finger, you've put your finger right on it. Yes. Yeah. Do we see a, a more important link between between psychology and medicine? Uh, there has always been an intimate li uh, link, an, uh, an intimate uh, link. The problem that we've had is that society in general has not been willing to take uh, responsibility for psychological issues. Um, and haven't considered it biology or medicine. 
until recently, right? But now you heard, you, you heard uh, Dr. Nabel talk about this new building. I mean, one of the things that's happening there is that neurology, psychiatry, and neurosurgery are not going to be thought of as some different, uh, se totally separate entities anymore, right? The, the, it's a nervous system problem, isn't it? it? It doesn't make any sense to say this is psychiatry, this is neurology, this is neurosurgery. That doesn't make any sense anymore. That's, that's, that's passe. Um, we're going to be, I, I hope, on the vanguard of this. When patients walk in there, it's not going to say Department of Psychiatry, Department of Neurology. It's going to say Back Pain Center. Right? So the person goes to the Back Pain Center. How do I know it, at, at the beginning what the, why the person is in the Back Pain Center? Is, is it a bad experience at work? Is it a disc? Is it need surgery? I, I don't know. Let's find out. That's what it's all about. You're, you're absolutely right. It's part of medicine, but it hasn't been reimbursed fairly. Right? People aren't willing to pay for it. And it has to be brought back into the, into the mainstream of medicine, definitely. I, I completely agree with you. You want to stop, right, Betsy? Okay, so I'm done. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, Marty. This concludes our podcast on the science of addiction. Thank you for tuning in.